Hi, my name is Danny, and I am a horticulturalist. Welcome to my little podcast, Leaves, Stems and Roots. Episode 1, Season 1. Quote, The love of gardening is a seed once sown that never dies. Gertrude Jekyll. Hello, leaflets. Today we will be discussing kitchen and garden around the world. We will look at the origins of kitchen garden and what the significant programs, if any, are here in Australia and around the globe. So what is a kitchen garden? I think when I first thought about it, I thought of kitchen inside the garden or vice versa. Possible kid logic. So where did it all start? We must go back to the beginning. It is said that herbs were the start of kitchen gardens. Herbs have been around forever. People used to like their herbs close to their living spaces to enhance food and to use medicinally. They were found in the countryside and brought back to plant in their gardens in root or cutting form. People came to realise that adding herbs, it could make their meat more palatable. If the meat they had was a little suspect in that it had been a little past its due date, swather it with herbs and spices and no one knew any better. A nod to the cooks of these times who tested to see the right measurements, a serious nod to the peasants who were lost in these experimentations. I guess it really was the survival of the fittest back then. People like me, who had delicate stomachs, would have died earlier. Garden beds full of an assortment of herbs for eating, medicinal and for dyeing fabric, also for aesthetics and aromatics. People also became to realise that some flowers were edible. Did you know you can eat the leaves, seeds and flowers of nasturtiums? They come in different colours and I wonder if they taste any different. One wonders who decided the humble nasturtium was edible and did they stop their experimentations after eating an oleander flower? To those who are unaware, oleanders are very toxic to humans. The popularity of kitchen gardens has been a roller coaster out of necessity, war times, sickness and obesity. Rewind to medieval time. Romans had to grow their own food or they would die. This is a no-brainer, hey? There were no woolies back then. It was a self-sufficient time. One could not go down to the local grocer and buy a few things at a time. Sure, there were merchants, but would they have everything needed at a price these people could afford? People could only survive to the success of their gardens. Of course, this all changed when the agriculture revolution changed the ways of controlling production of food. The actual concept of the kitchen garden was translated to us in the 1600s by doctor and printer Charles Estine, who described in some detail of Massain Ristique, apologies for my pronunciation, a separate garden to the ornamental plants and surrounded by a fence or wall which showed its distinction from other gardens. Fun fact! He first wrote this paper in 1554. It was only translated to English after his death. There are still some of these walled gardens around today. Some of these are Alnwick Castle, Fulham Palace, Shugborough Hall in England, and Edzell Castle in Scotland. This was actually replanted in the 1930s. Kitchen gardens have been called a lot of things over time and in different countries. For example, in Scotland, it is called a callyard. Literal translation is cabbage garden. Seen across Scotland and Ireland, 
In Italy, it is known as Giardino alle Italiana. In Spain, it is called Mujuja, which translates to allowed to remain. And the French call it a potager, literally translated to thick and substantial soup, meaning that all ingredients of a soup could be made from the garden. I love this idea. How cool is that? Potagers were originally erected in monasteries and were seen as a nod to the gods who provided all. They were modestly shown to be in domesticated small gardens to provide herbs, flowers and vegetables in small urban garden setting. This concept slowly expanded throughout the 16th century Renaissance and Baroque garden de la Fricosi period. I am really, really sorry about my pronunciation. Not good. Where grand houses would have grand gardens and elaborate kitchen gardens set in geometric grids. The potager du Roy Vasalis produced the fruits and veggies for the court of Louis XIV. This garden was over 25 acres. It had 12,000 trees and 12 individual production areas. How many gardeners were required? No, this is not a joke. No less than 30. Wow. In Goddington House, Kent, England, the equivalent of the Potager was seen. It was less elaborate than its neighbours in France. However, the concept and practicality was the same. The use of herbs, flowers and vegetables in the kitchen garden has been around for 400 years and is still being visited today. This landscape is much due to the landscaper Reginald Blomfield in 1898. I could go on, but with time restraints and not wanting to bore the plants off my leaflets this early in the podcast, I'll chat a bit more about the concept. Since then, there have been many variations on this view. However, as more people populated the earth, these large parcels of lands would decrease and the gardens grew smaller and smaller the houses got bigger and bigger between you and me i'd rather have a huge garden and a smallish house grocery stores were established and the convenience of getting most of your groceries from one store saw the decline of kitchen gardens fast forward to the 20th century england world war ii hit and it was encouraged by the government ministry of food to grow your own resources this was due to food shortages and in some places rations had stopped altogether it became a patriotic way of life want wheat grow your own food do it for your country well actually do it for your own stomachs because you will die otherwise after the war ended and the shops started getting more food and the stores would get bigger people's reliance on consumerism was once again at a high it was more convenient to go to the shops than to grow your own veggies Therefore, kitchen gardens' popularity decreased again. Food shortages became a thing of the past and growing them had been of a necessity. And let's face it, it may have been seen as a bit of a chore and a reminder of the horrible times of war. And I don't think some people needed any more reminders of the war. Over the years, there has always been pockets of places all around the world known for their kitchen gardens. Westerners were getting more comfortable and perhaps even blasé in the fact that their food was becoming more and more convenient and kitchen gardens seemed to be forgotten. I grew up in the 1980s and 90s and I remember my dad growing a small number of veggies, pumpkins and tomatoes, parsley and capsicums. And he made, and still does, the best pumpkin soup. I can't really remember any other veggies. 
I know about pumpkins because they grew out of the compost bin and grew through the entire backyard like some tripid kind of thing. They were alive! Anyway, fast food chains grew from everywhere. Maccas, KFC, Red Rooster, Pizza Hut, showing my age. Supermarkets got bigger. Malls were a thing. Let's go to the mall. Today! Gardens got smaller and all we grew were roses and English gardens. Fast forward to the digital age. Let's think 2000 and onwards. There was a real concern about the obesity in our kids. All the fast food and TV made kiddies round and unwell. In a Collingwood school in Melbourne, Australia, a new imagining of kitchen garden was being realised. In 2003, this concept was the benchmark for the establishment of the Stephanie Alexander Kitchen and Garden Program, which launched in schools from 2004. From that small school in the eastern suburbs, schools across the state and country have seen these programs introduced into their schools. In a future episode, I will be discussing this in more details and why it is important to have kids learn about kitchen garden. This concept, developed by Stephanie Alexander, taught kids where their food came from and learned how to cook with it. This has changed the face of schools everywhere. This program changes the next generations about how they produce and consume their food. Similar programs have popped up across the world. Some examples are Jamie Oliver, Food for Life, is a very similar kitchen garden concept. This is across schools in Britain. He started out at changing the school lunches in 2005 and then it exploded from then. Individuals can learn about veggie growing throughout the world through organisations gardens and specialised organisations. Other than school-related programs, there has also been more political reasons. This is not a political podcast. I am only citing the following because of how they relate to the topic at hand. In Afghanistan from 2015, thousands of women have upskilled in kitchen gardens in support from the National Livestock and Horticulture Project to help poor families gain a sustainable income. From 2017, the peoples of Sudan were displaced and went weeks without food. They were then given the tools and seeds to sow and are now growing their own food. Due to the pandemic, food shortages were everywhere. The poorer countries have been given grants to provide them with the concept of kitchen gardens. Organisations in Central Asia, Africa, Latin America and the Caribbean have benefited greatly from these monies and opportunities which will continue to encourage people to add to the food crisis. Over here, when the pandemic hit, people were stuck in their homes. Gardens were erected. Plants and seeds are planted. Chooks were bought. Bees were being put in, worms farms, worms farms, worm farms are being put together. As we get back to normalcy, I've noticed we're regaining the kitchen garden attitude, probably due to the increased prices of food. Remember when a head of lettuce was 10 bucks? Small kitchen gardens have been made for kids at home and perhaps get their parents involved too. As the world gets busier and easier, kitchen gardens are slowly growing but are still not feeding households. So how much room do you need for a kitchen garden? That is the beauty of this concept. There is no set space. You can have one on a balcony or a courtyard or a backyard 
and you can even have a kitchen garden inside if you have none of these things in your back. We will be discussing this in depth in a future episode. But for now, if you have no concept of gardening, try herbs first. They are easy to grow. I have not known anyone who's killed mint. Parsley and oregano are other herbs which are good places to start. If you're feeling a bit more adventurous, I would start with your easy veggies and year-round species like carrots, silver beets and spring onions. You will want to research your climate, but most veggies need good, well-drained soil and in full sun. However, if you can't get full sun, don't give up. Full sun will give you bigger yields, yes, but you can still make it work in dappled shade. Over in Italy, they have small courtyards, which introduce the idea of espalier trees. So what does that have to do with kitchen garden? If you only have small areas, you too can enjoy the garden and utilise your small garden with espaliered fruit trees, including citrus, plum and peaches. Pots are another receptacle to use for your veggies. If you rent, this is a great alternative to not having a kitchen garden. There are certain species which work better in pots for a myriad of reasons, including vigour, mint comes to mind, differing soil content, and if you only have a small space, the variety of different plants that should be planted together could be minimised. Fun fact, in the last 90 years, kitchen gardens were established because of ration shortages through war times, and they became popular again due to obesity. Something does not sound right there. So that is the end of the first episode. I am now going to talk about what I have planted in my garden. And due to this topic, we're going to talk about the humble spud. How good are potatoes? Potatoes. I love potatoes. My son loves potatoes. My dog loved potatoes. You know they are important because they are grown in Minecraft as a necessary health increaser. I planted sweet potatoes last year, but unfortunately, I realised my dog-proof fence wasn't good enough and just before I could harvest them, Cooper Duper had eaten the lot. He was a happy chappy. I hope you enjoyed episode one on my podcast. Please rate and review or subscribe and my little leaflets. Until next time, toodaloo. Do you have a kitchen garden? Let me know through social media. There's a link in the show notes. All sources pertaining to this episode will be in the show notes or you can find them through my website, stemsleavesandroots.com.